Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. Now today we're going into the book of the Psalms. David did not write all the Psalms. There are all kinds of things that you can read in your Bible as to uh, people like Moses and others that had a major part in that beautiful book. In recent weeks, we have been talking about the second coming of the Lord. We've been talking about heaven, a prepared place for a prepared people. We have tried to balance the equation and let all understand that you don't have to go to heaven. Uh, you can choose not to, and the way you choose not to is just simply to ignore the way to heaven, which is Jesus Christ. But you deserve to know what the scripture says about those that reject Christ. Many people have never heard, you have a right to hear. We've tried to handle those very delicate issues uh, under the leadership of the Lord. And today I want to move into a teaching that I hope will be of great help to those of you that have chosen to accept the truth and live by the truth. And those of you that are thinking about, still twixt between, do I want to trust the devil and his demons or do I want to trust God and his angels? And as you move back and forth, not clearly making a decision, knowing that none of us know what another day is going to bring, but if you're in between, then the purpose of this message is to give you another opportunity to see what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and live by the truth. I'm entitling the message, Truth That Sets Us Free. I will read now from the 91st Psalm, the 91st Psalm. So if you have your Bible and would like to open it with me as I read from mine, uh, you may follow. Also, we will have the words on the screen. So let us all stand in the auditorium out of respect to the reading of the Scripture. The byline to the 91st Psalm is that God is a refuge and God is a fortress. Listen to verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh unto thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, 
There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh unto your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all of your ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder and the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under thy feet. As I read the last three verses, there's seven things I hope will jump out at you. These are seven promises to all of us that are children of God. Verse 14. Because he set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he's known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. May God bless his word. Would you be seated? If you look in your commentaries, you'll see that the psalm, this psalm, is attributed as a prayer of Moses and was probably written at some point in time when the people of Israel that had forsaken God and been cast into the wilderness and wandered around for 40 years and went through all kind of cataclysmic things that in the midst of one of those very terrible calamities, this word came to them through Moses that they might understand that though their world was falling apart, that they had every reason to believe and know that God had hold of them individually as his children and collectively as his family. All of us that have lived for a reasonable time, a length of time, several decades, the longer our life, the more we realize how quick life can change in a heartbeat. We've lived long enough to understand that there are a lot of bumps along the road in this life. That death is common to all. It is appointed unto man once to die. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, sin of all kinds run rampant. Those sins that run rampant, as the Bible said in the last days, as we talked about a few weeks ago, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Even those within their own family, a nation, cannot agree. But the fighting continues. That's this world. Could come as no surprise. You say, well, I just haven't ever seen anything like this in my lifetime. Well, there's been other times before you were born. But in the midst of all of that, when the word goes out that Jesus is coming again, that he has a prepared place for a prepared people, and that if anyone is rejected and spends eternity away from God, it will be by their choice that they do it. And so God has put in his written word, not only in Psalms 91, but throughout all of the Bible, God has put in his written word many passages that are there to encourage us, to help us find light in a dark world, 
And to find joy when everyone else seems to be so distraught. The last two verses, or the last three verses of Psalm 91, God tells Moses seven things that he's going to do for his people. We're going to look at those. Now before we look at them, let me tell you something. You said you said this before. If I live to preach another sermon, I'll say it again. You can trust him. You can trust God. You cannot trust the preacher, but you can trust God. You can trust God when he speaks to you personally, and you can trust God when he puts it down in his holy word. You can trust him. He's never failed. His truth is for all generations, and that includes your generation and my generation and my father's generation and my grandparents and on and on and on. You can trust him. You can trace it all the way back to Genesis 1-1. And you will find consistency. Let's talk about it. First thing I want you to notice is in that 14th verse of the 91st Psalm where God promises, I will deliver him. I will deliver you, Moses. I will deliver my people. Now, there's going to be many battles. There's going to be many plagues, much bloodshed, a lot of sickness, lots of problems in relationships. But I'm going to set you free. I want you to think in your world this morning. I'll think in mine. Let's just part for a moment. Get in your world. What are people addicted to today? What are they addicted to? Now move beyond the obvious of drugs. Move beyond that. Some are addicted to anger. Some are addicted to envy. Some are addicted to jealousy. Some are addicted to wasting their time and their talents and their substance. They just want to sleep all the time. They just want to rest all the time. Can't wait till they get old enough that they can do nothing. They just can't stop. We start eating and we can't stop. We quit coming to church and we can't stop. We close our Bible. We put it somewhere. And if somebody dies, we'll get it out and read it before the funeral maybe. Why can't we get it out? Why can't we come to church? Why can't we serve the Lord? We're addicted to the wrong things in life. But God's children are free. That's what it means to be saved. Saved from addiction. Saved from things that are not only alcohol. How in the world could a young person ever, 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 ever get on drugs? When they can look through the generations of what it does to destroy. It starts off with a little temptation. I just want to do what my friends do. I just want to do what society does. I don't want to be the only one at the office that's faithful to my wife. I don't want to make a habit of this, but after all, I must move over. How do you become an addict to anything? Little by little by little. And then the noose gets around your neck and you can't break it for the life of you. Some of you could write your testimony today and it'd say, you know, I gave my heart and rededicated my life two years ago. But then I fell away. Then I did it again six months ago. Then I fell away. Well, I started coming to church. I was thinking about families while I was doing this sermon. 
that I used to see on the first five rows of the church continually, every Sunday, wonderful people. But they got in bad habits. They got in bad habits. Because of these bad habits, no longer do they have the joy of the Lord that they once had. You do not have to be way out there in left field, so to speak, and doing the bizarre stuff. But we're in bondage. We can't keep from spending. We can't keep from lying. We cannot keep those things under control. But God says, I will deliver my children. If you will just know the truth, obey the truth, I will set you free. My question to you today is, are you in bondage? You answered, not to me, to yourself. God already knows whether you are or not. Do you know if you are? You remember that little saying, I'm going to do it when I get around to it? Some guy made a fortune making little round to it's and giving them to everybody, you know. You maybe you've seen some of those, you know. You know, I'll do it when I get around. Here's your round to it. You know, take that with you. Get it done. Do the powers of darkness hold you in their grips? Can you really not control your tongue, men? Can you really not control your tongue, ladies? Do you have to be critical? Is that just your nature? You know, that's my spiritual gift is criticism. And I just go around looking. I criticize them at the restaurant. I criticize them at the school. I criticize them at church. I criticize them in the neighborhood. I mean, I'm just one big critic. And I just can't stop. Other people that promise praying that you'll stop. But you just can't. You just can't. Moses didn't start out very good. Remember his resume? He was given away, put out in a basket. Had a rough time, been out there with those crocodiles, but God saved him, brought him into Pharaoh's house. You know all of that story. And when he became a leader as a young adult, he, he messed up. He messed up, big time. And you remember how he committed murder. He could not control his temper. He had all kinds of problems. And for 40 years, he wandered out there in the wilderness with from one to three million people under his command. But God didn't give up on Moses. He did not give up on him. He miserably failed when he was young, but he masterfully recovered. Maybe I am talking to some father today, and you would say, I have miserably failed as the leader of my family. I have miserably failed. I've not been a godly husband. I've not been a godly father. I have not put my family first. There's a future for failures. That's what salvation is. From those addictions, we can change. And God used Moses in an incredible way later on in his life. Have you ever asked yourself this question? What in the world was Adam and Eve thinking in Genesis 1? I mean, what had they been drinking that day or smoking? I mean, how in the world could two people that had such a gorgeous real estate and no pollution in the air and no bad television pro, how could they mess up like they did? That's how strong Satan is. 
A lot of you moved to different environments thinking that when you move from Chicago to New York or from New York to California and start all over again, you're going to have a whole new life. You don't have a whole new life by moving across the country. You have a whole new life when you're born again or when you discover or remind yourself of whose kids you are. And it can happen right where you are in your little apartment. You don't have to get a great big house. Where you're doing your job, for minimum wage, not when you become the chairman of the board. You will see the chairman of the board of that corporation may be having the same problems that you're having. And you may see them on the news even today. Genesis chapter 3. Listen to this. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. How could they believe that stuff? How could they buy into that? That blows my mind. Well, why did you buy into your stuff? What got you off on wherever you are? Why did you think that the Satan's way and forsaking yourself, your own health, your family, your friends, how could you ever do that? We've all done it in some way or another. How do we do it? God just shakes his head. Because here's what he says in John 10, 10. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus said. Entertainment's pretty costly. Sin is costly. Sin will always take you farther than you ever intended to go, and it'll keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay, and it'll cost you more than you ever planned to pay. I can promise you. The devil didn't just come and go from here to there. He takes you little by little by little to little till you no longer listen to God. You start listening to the world. What's the world's music? What's the world's conduct? What's the world watching? What's the world into? I got to get into it because I want to be well known and well loved and well respected in my generation. At the root of every sin, there's a lie. We know God's truth. That we don't have to sin, nor do we want to sin. If I'm talking to a brother and sister in Christ today and say, you know, I'm just looking for a new sin. Could I suggest you start looking for a Savior? If you're really born again, yes, you will sin, but you'll never enjoy another sin in your life. And when you're out looking for sin, you're not a believer. Because when you have tasted of the living water, you don't go back to the filth of this world. When you understand what holy matrimony is, God's way, as compared to everything else the world says about sex, when you understand how precious little children are as compared to what the world does with little children, when you get into that world, your whole life is going to change. For the better. For the better. John 8, 32 says you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Satan knows that from time to time we uh, are conceived in our mother's womb 
and that God has a plan for our life, like John the Baptist. I mean a real special plan that's going to affect many people. And let me tell you this, the more your life was created to affect a lot of people, the more trouble you've had with temptation. You hear what I just said? Satan knows. God says, I know what my plans are for you, and Satan doesn't know everything, but he knows some things. And if he knows that if God ever gets a hold of some of you, and some of you that are watching, not only here in this audience, when God gets a hold of you, it's going to impact the kingdom of God for good like nothing you can imagine. That's the reason you have so much trouble with temptation. That's the reason it's easy to be apathetical, complacent, critical, and so forth. Jesus does not save us with his blood only to leave us in the bondage of sin. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. Satan wants to devour us. He wants to tear us apart, take us out. He'll hit you anywhere he can hit you. And if God can deliver the Israelites from the strongest monarch on earth, he can deliver you today. This was Moses' day, but he will deliver you today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now you can come out. You will not be deceived. Many of you I'm talking to right now, you literally financially are dead broke. Dead broke. And it's not because you've given your money to the Lord. It's because the devil has ripped you off, and if you make 20 times the amount of money next year that you're making this year, you'll be in worse financial shape than you are right now because you don't understand. Satan has not let you understand. He has deceived you. He has messed you up. He knows how to manipulate you, and yet God comes along and says, I will deliver you. And very quickly, he says then in verse 15, I will answer. God hears and God answers. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. What a promise. I will not only deliver you, but I will answer you. You ever talk to people and know they're not listening to you? Well, if you haven't, let me let you preach one Sunday, okay? <laughs> And then you can go through that experience, all right? <laughs> but now hear me. When you talk to God, you better make sure what you say because he hears every word. Not only, does he ever, not only does he hear every word you're saying, he knows what you were thinking about saying and stopped at the last minute. Just before you decided you'd use your gift of criticism on him, you stopped. But God knows what you were fixing to say. He still loves you. still loves you. I don't want you, I don't want you to misunderstand. But he said, I'm not going to hear you. I'm going to answer you. Some of you prayed for the mate that you have, that God would give you this one or that one. God gave them to you. But God said, if you'd asked me, I had something a whole lot better for you. And that's the reason you wouldn't have to go through what some of you have had to go through. You don't have to chase after a guy or girls. You don't have to chase after a woman. You just be still and God knows what your need is. And he said, I'll supply your need. I will not hold any good thing from you if you'll just love me. Just be still and know I'm God. Amen. Just cool it. I'll take care. You don't have to run out where the crowds are. I'll send whatever I want to you like I sent a raven to Elijah right out in the middle of the wilderness. I will do it. Remember the prodigal son? He came to himself one day. He said, I'm foolish. 
Look what I left. I cannot believe I did that. The thief on the cross. Lord, remember me. He was cursing in the morning and he was praising God in the evening. That's the way God works. You don't have to go and get a master's degree or a doctor's degree in salvation. You just have to acknowledge you're a sinner, repent of that sin, and receive God into your life. God never disappoints his kids. Never. 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 You see what happened to the people finally with Moses. They just took God at his word. Moses took God at his word. And sadly, many of these problems that we have started when we were very young. There's so much I'd love to talk with you about on that part, but let me just give you a scripture. This is what Job said. Man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Only God knows the troubles that are represented in this auditorium right now and those of you that are watching. Only God knows. If you ask most of us, everything's fine. If the truth was matter, a lot of people are hurting right here, right now. You don't have to go to the other side of the world, right here. And Verse 15 says, I will be with you in trouble. Look at it. I'll walk with you. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, David said in his psalm, Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But early in life, in all the scientific Data of human behavior will, will absolutely prove what I'm telling you is the truth. That when young people are not raised in Christian homes, where they do not have a dad and a mom, as God intended for us to have, that they suffer greatly and have to deal with things, that those that are blessed with a Christian home are able to be blessed with when they're very young. Protective father, protective mother, those that did not tolerate rebellion and taught us not to rebel against them so we wouldn't eventually rebel against God. Amen. Family problems are passed down to the second, third, and the fourth generation. Right. Now, folks, this is not hypothetical stuff. This is absolute documented facts. Yes. The way you live as a mom and a dad are greatly going to affect your kids. All their life. They're going to have a little bit more difficult time when you talk about the heavenly father if their earthly father was a jerk of understanding that. They will actually rebel against it. You have to be so careful. But God says, I'm going to be with you. You felt rejected as a child when your parents divorced you felt that way. It was not your fault, but you felt that way. Satan made you feel that way. You don't need to blame your mom and dad. You need to blame Satan. Don't let him mess. He still loves your mom. He still loves your dad. He still, if they're still living, he still has a purpose for them. But you can't live their life. Don't lose your self-worth. Young people, don't sell yourselves out to the world. And say, but I've been rejected. 
by those that I thought would love me. And oftentimes, it's even guilt that rises to to the top. Young people lose their health. They lose their confidence. They lose their assurance. They, they lose their purpose. Young girls that are in their teenage years that did not have a father that said, you're beautiful, you're special. The guy that gets you, he's going to get my approval before he gets you because you're not going to get some bunch of junk. They'll meet me. Well, I'm not going to let them. Yeah, they'll meet me. If I have to keep you here, do they come over here? I, they will meet me. But you see, our, our young people today, it's always been here, but it's just worse now because it's epidemic. It's everywhere. Everybody on television does it. Everybody in the movies does it. All their friends are doing it. Everybody on Facebook that they're looking at, you know, here we go. But God says, listen to me. Listen to me. I love you. I don't want you to follow others. I want you to follow me, and others will follow you to me. That's what I have planned for your life. Even when children are in the womb, science tells us they're affected. The music they hear while the mother's pregnant. The attitude the mother has or the father has in the home. When the baby's right here, they pick up on it. But in the midst of all of that, God comes to you and says, but the blood of Christ cleanses from all that. What you've got to do is understand the problem. This is not a put-down sermon. This is a knowledge sermon, a subject, and you're not the only one that's a sinner. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Different ways, different times, but some of us have met the Savior, and instantaneously old things passed away and everything became new. That's what I want for you today. I don't want you to go home and say I'm terminally ill and I'm going to die. I want you to go home and say I'm terminally ill and before I get out of here, I'm going to be born again. And I'm going to have life everlasting. That's what God wants. Fourth thing he says, I'm going to honor him. Rejected by man, but honored by God. My, how Moses saw that happen. He tried to do it on his own. He tried to take his young things that he had learned and he put them into practice. But one day after God humbled Moses... He put him in a key place of Christian history. Same thing happened with Simon Peter and so many others. Here's what I'm trying to say. There is a future for failures. There's a future for failures. Some of the greatest believers I know today, some of those that have the greatest impact on the cause of Christ around the world, came out of horrendous situations. You would not believe their testimony if they could get you aside and say, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, I was not born in a Christian home, and on and on and on. And I started out on the wrong road, but by the grace of God, thanks to Calvary, I'm not what I used to be. Not what I want to be. Not what I ought to be. But thanks to Calvary, I'm not what I used to be. There's the future. The fifth thing that he says is, with long life, I will satisfy him, verse 16. That's not talking about I don't think this life. Psalm 21.4 says, He asked life of you and you gave it to him, even length of days forever and forever. God wants you to understand that this life is not about 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90, 100 years. We're talking about eternity. And, and we know what's going to happen in the life to come 
But it's here's where we're struggling. It's in, we know about the sweet by and by, it's just the nasty now and now we're trying to deal with. And as we try to deal with this, God understands. He understands. And the best here, those that live the longest here, that go beyond maybe even a hundred. This life is brief and soon will be past. And only what's done for Christ is going to last. Don't forget that. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. And Jesus says, come unto me all you that are weary, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You say, well, why don't he come where I am? He already did. He left heaven and he came to a cross. That's it. Then he went back to the Father and he says, now, if you want to get to me, you come through the blood. You come through the cross. And that's the answer. Jesus came and he destroyed death. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to die no never. You remember that old gospel song? I'm going to live forever. You're going to live forever. The only thing up for grabs now is where? You want to come to the mansion that's been paid for, or you want to go and live with the devil, and he'll say, you can pay for this. You know, I carried your mortgage all during earth. Now you can pay for it for all of eternity. The choice is mine. The choice is yours. And very quickly, the last two, he says, I'm going to set you on high. In the 14th verse, he said, I'm going to set him on high. Here we may not receive a whole lot of the recognition of the world. Some of you might say, you know, my greatest day of recognition was on my ninth birthday party. I got more attention that day, I think, than any other time. It was all about me. They sang happy birthday to me. The gifts all came to me. Everybody, it was all about me. Since then, it's been kind of rough. I've had to do some weird things to get a little attention since that time. But you know what? You may not get a lot of recognitions here, but if you can get the well done from the Savior, you got it made. And when you get to be with him, if the relationship got so narrow that everybody left you and all your friends threw, threw you down, if you will stay with the Lord when you get to heaven, you will never, ever regret that I didn't quit loving Jesus because I had problems with my friends or the people I thought were my friends. We'll probably never be invited to the White House. We may never be invited to sit at the head table. We may never see our name in lights or on the lips of everybody else and a star over our dressing room. But if you've got the well done, you got it made. You have arrived, and you'll live long enough to see it. And you will bow down. If God puts a crown on your head because you were martyred for the faith or because you were a soul winner and you went out and won your friends to Jesus or any of the other crowns, when you stand before him, you will take that crown off and you will kneel down and you will place it at his feet and you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. Oh, there's so many stories in the Bible. 
Joseph and all. You remember how his friends and family beat him up? But even in this life, they had to go to him one day and ask for food because God exalted him. That's the way God works. Same thing happened to Jesus, by the way. Nailing him to the cross on one day. Three days later, trying to figure out what happened. Forty days later, they heard he's gone back to heaven. And now they're scared to death. He's coming back again to rule and to reign with his kids. Those that have left the crowd to follow the Savior. I was visiting, I want to tell you this real quick story, and I'll, I'll give you the, the last one in a couple of minutes. Had an interesting experience in college. I came from a very humble family. We'd, I lived at 402 Johnson Street, built up on blocks. You can go over and look at it. The house is still there, Pasadena. I met a young man at Baylor University. His name was McLean Bowman. His grandmother was Rena Mars McLean. If you went to Baylor, you've seen the science building. You've seen the gymnasium. You've seen that name all over the place. I met him because of my love for hunting, and one day he carried me to San Antonio to meet his family. And I had the privilege to lead McLean to the Lord as, as, while we were in college. And uh, he carried me and three of my buddies. And my roommate was from Bastrop, Texas. And his name was Charlie. I'd never been in a place like that on Bushnell Street in San Antonio. We went into this place, and there was guards everywhere and fences and all this kind of stuff. And we went in and, and sat down for, for dinner, and the uh, waiter had on a tuxedo. And this was Tuesday. And we were all sitting there. McLean was sitting at the head, and I was sitting over on the side, and Charlie was sitting over the other side. And when they got through, they brought to the table a bowl. And in this bowl was some water and a lemon. Now stick with me. They set it down in front of my roommate from Bastrop, Texas. Charlie looked over at me. He looked at the other guys, and they were looking down. And he picked up the bow, and he drank the water. <laughs> McLean was sitting on the end of the table, and he literally fell out of his chair. Literally <laughs> fell out of his chair. And he started beating on the ground, laughing at Charlie. He thought that's the funniest thing he had ever seen. You know, a rich boy in San Antonio, and somebody came to my house and drank the finger bowl. Well, it's kind of awkward, folks, when you're around the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, too. And we, we'll probably make, you don't, you don't know, do I bow, do I do what? And, you know, here, we've had 14 Bible studies. Do I kneel? Do I stand? Do I, how am I going to greet him and all? Just don't worry about that. McLean thought he was the funniest thing of the whole bunch. That's what happened. It was better than the whole meal, and it was awesome. So you might feel like Charlie today. Say, I don't know anything about a finger bowl, and I don't, anything, I don't even know what this salvation is. It's real simple. All of sin comes short of the glory of God, but by grace you can be saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God, lest, uh, lest any man should boast. Which leads to the seventh one. Here's what he says. He says, I'll show you, I'll show him my salvation. That's where all this leads, folks. I will show you, he says, my salvation. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard what God's got in store for those that love him. One day we'll see him 
as he is. John 12, 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. God showed us himself at Bethlehem. God showed him, us himself at Calvary. God showed us himself at an open grave. God showed us himself on the Mount of Olives when he ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And God will show himself one day when he'll be revealed from heaven, according to the scripture, to take vengeance on them that know not God. There's no getting around it, folks, if you believe the Bible. If you don't, that's your choice. Whatever you live by, you must be willing to die by. But Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know my thoughts, what I think towards you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Are you hurting today? Come on, be honest with yourself. Not to me, you don't have to go like this. Are you hurting today? Do you feel like some way you've missed it to this point in your life? Is this all there is? If you are, this message is for you. From God, he says, you can trust me. What I did for Moses, I'll do for you. But I won't change my way. I, I, you, you'll come my way or you won't come at all. That's what he's saying. It takes a lot of pain. I have heard from mothers for birth to come, physical birth. And I want you to know that sometimes it takes a lot of pain for spiritual birth to come. But what a relief when you hear those words, it's a little boy, it's a little girl. What joy. You say it's been worth it all. But if you're hurting today, the Lord is saying to you, hey, I know you hurt. You don't have to tell me what sin's done to you. I know what it did to me. That's what Jesus would tell you. It nailed me to a cross. I know. You didn't have the power I had. And because of that, you have paid dearly. Some of you have literally shed your blood because of sin. You've been in those altercations where literally there was bloodshed. But in the midst of all of that, God is saying, come unto me. Come unto me. Would you do that today? Can you trust him? You'll have to make the decision. But when you do trust him, you're going to be free. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.